HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border, coast to coast, and all the ships at sea. Streaming live from the County of Kings, Brooklyn, New York City, on the Heritage Radio Network. Are you ready for the fastest half hour on the internet today? It's the Mike and Judy Show. Spanning the globe for high-minded hijinks and low-brow kicks to bring you the best in sex, drugs, rock and roll, and nuclear fission. They're too bad for radio and too good-looking for television. And now, here they are, the Nichols and May of the Now Generation, your hosts, Mike Edison and Judy McGuire. <laughs> it's punk rock day, Judy. Woo! Woo! Gabba gabba hey! <laughs> And we have a guest who knows who Nichols and May is. That's always so refreshing. <laughs> he's the greatest guy I know. Yeah, he's responsible for me uh, having a career, basically. Yeah, and um, for almost destroying mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's John Holmstrom. Yay! Yay! And we're here celebrating John's new, amazing new book. It's beautiful. Not only is John the best guy ever, his book is the best book ever. Um, punk, the very best of Punk Magazine. John, so happy to have you here on the Mike and Judy Show. I'm glad to be here. It's um, so nice to see you, John. <laughs> it's nice to see you, too. For all, the, for all those youngsters out in Radioland who'd never seen Punk Magazine and oh. the, 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 the miracle of Punk Magazine, this fantastic hand-drawn, handcrafted, really one of my all-time favorite magazines in the history there's not, there's no, of American there's magazines. Better. You know, Maybe Playboy had a nice shot in the late 50s and the 60s, and then there's Punk, and yeah. that's it. Well, thanks. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you... St- okay, well, let's just go do a little history, maybe. What well, made you, a nice boy from Connecticut, start Punk Magazine? I was always a fan of, like, loud, fast rock and roll music. I was a big Alice Cooper fan back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do an Alice Cooper comic book. <laughs> I always thought, like, comics and rock and roll were kind of kindred art forms. Because, you know, like in the 50s, you had Elvis, right. Jerry Lee Lewis... And then you had easy comic books at the same time. Oh, those wonderful horror comic books, of course. Reflected a similar you know, culture. Right. Outlaw, yeah, yeah. Rebel, Wild One. 
So you moved to New York from Connecticut, and you went to school. You were at SVA, right? School of Visual Arts. And you started with some great people. You started with Harvey Kurtzman. He was one of my teachers, um, and Will Eisner, and I went on to work for both of them when I, I, had, I had to drop out of art school. I didn't have the money to keep going. Well, yeah, that really that really screwed that, up. Your yeah, that, that really that really put the kibosh <laughs> on your career. Um, for everyone out in Radio Land who's never seen John's work, all you need to do is look at the first couple of Ramones records, and those are John's fantastic cartoons on the Ramones records. It's probably your most iconic uh, and memorable work, just because it's, it's been seen so much. Uh, oddly enough, lately it seems to be the cover of Punk Number no. One and Punk Number no. Three with the Ramones on it that are even more iconic. I was shocked uh, with that the downtown show. It was like an art exhibit about the 70s and 80s art scene in New York, used the punk number three cover as the image to, to, to promote the uh, show, and it was at the Andy Warhol Museum. That's amazing. And it's, yeah, it showed up all over the place. Uh, Were you excited to have a museum piece? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was recently at a show in the New Museum, uh-huh. and then at a show right. in London at the Hayward. Hey, uh, punk is gone gallery. legit, you know? The, you know, it's the weird thing is the punk rockers won. Andy Chernoff, our friend of the Dictators, often we talk about this because everything is so democratic now with the internet and, you know... Punk rock ethos was DIY, of course, and it was sort of um, you know, overthrow the, the big record companies and the labels and the, and the order of things, the status quo, and seize the means of production. Um, but now everybody can make records in their living room and, make, right. and they're making bad records, and it's too easy. And Andy always says, yeah, it's because punk rock won. It's our fault. Well, there's a lot of garbage out there, but, but if you sift through it, you know, I, I, when I was still putting out the magazine, when I re- tried to revive it in the, in the 2000s, we had listening parties. Mm-hmm. And we would just take the slush pile of CDs people were sending us. And surprisingly, there's a lot of good punk rock and surf music and rock and roll being made out there. Our engineer, Joe, is responsible for some of that. <laughs> Joe looks like the cover of Punk Rock Number One, which is a Lou Reed. You look more Transformer period these days, Joe. Yeah. Thank you, guys. That's it's real flattering. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not nearly as annoying as Lou. How was Lou with you guys? I mean, he was right there in issue number one. I was good friends with Lou, but unfortunately, we uh, uh, had a falling out over something. I'm not sure what it was, but uh, Lou was a great guy. I really treasured being his friend for as long as I was. He was a big fan of the magazine right off the bat. And you, well, you guys, I mean, you put a lot of people, you know, on the map, such as it was, but you certainly helped out Debbie and Blondie oh, and, yeah. and the Ramones, of course, and really connecting the dots and getting people record contracts and, you know, putting them, you know, if not on the map in the big way. I mean, I know there's, there's always this mythology that the 70s were all about, you know, disco and punk rock, but the truth is these are pretty fringy kind of movements. Yeah, well, Chris Stein, you know, guitar player, songwriter for Blondie, was a big fan of the magazine right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted to work with us, get his photos published in the magazine, and see his band in there. But he, he was like a contributing editor for us. He was always contributing a, an idea or a bunch of photos. You know, that disposable Devo uh, photo comic was all mm-hmm. just him and Debbie on the rooftop just fooling around with Devo. Well, it's well great. sometimes well, I think it gets lost. That people forget that the original punk rock was also an art movement. You yeah, know, in, in its own way. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I mean, I mean, even the Ramones were kind of a concept band when you think about it. You know, it was very avant-garde what they were doing, writing these short, fast songs and dressing the same with the same name. It was pretty out there. Yeah, but I think the, the punk part that, that came after glam was more kind of artists playing music. Mm-hmm. A lot of people from the CBGB scene went to SVA. 
you know, Jeff Salen, Tough Darts, Chris Dine went to SVA. I went to SVA. Every half the people who worked on the magazine went to SVA. And, and then there were some RISD people in the scene. Hmm? The RISD people were also right, in the scene. Right. Talking heads, right? Yeah. So and that's another thing about the punk scene too. And you know, the bands that are usually mentioned around CBGBs, the Talking Heads, Blondie, the Ramones, I guess, probably, the, and maybe Television, and, and a few more. They had stylistically had zero to do with each other. I mean, think about it. I mean, Blondie was a pop band, more or less. The Ramones had their thing going on. Uh, the Talking Heads, you know, were kind of quirky and, and definitely No, no, that, that was Rizzi a common and... thread. You'd find it on the jukebox. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Ramones would, you know, would cover 1960s kind of like bubblegum. Right. And then you know, Talking Heads. What everybody said about Talking Heads, two reasons you have to see them. One... They do a song called Psycho Killer, and the singer looks just like Anthony Perkins. <laughs> That's true. And the second thing is they, they did a cover of uh, One, Two, Three, Red Light back then. Right, which is definitely out of its time. Yeah, so. No question about it. So what was CBGB's like back, back then, John? I mean, it was sort of, you know, the epicenter of this whole thing, but um, sometimes you get the idea that, the ba- you know, CBs didn't find the bands, the band found, found CBs. A little bit of both. You know, I'm involved in this upcoming uh, Theatrical film based on CBGB. So Hollywood, Holmstrom. And, uh, Hollywood, John Holmstrom. <laughs> it's about time. You- I keep warning them, the punk curse will strike. Because <laughs> it just seems everything punk rock ends up getting fucked over somehow. <laughs> who, who are some of the stars in them? Who's well, playing Alan who? Rickman plays Hilly. I love Alan Rickman. He's so great. So I, I actually, they brought me down to Savannah to watch part of the filming, and I got to hang out with Alan a little bit. Okay, well, you got that. They're filming the CBGB's movie in Savannah, Georgia. The they Al- reconstructed the club, though, in this warehouse. Antebellum CBGB's. I think it was formerly a slaughterhouse, <laughs> so it's fitting. But they had actually pieces of the original bar. They had the original cash register. They had the original jukebox. The urinal. The urinal, the urinal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. The CB's bathrooms were the most disgusting place on earth. They recreated. They recreated it in Californication last last week. Really? Yeah. Um. Uh. His his long suffering wife was a bartender at CB's, and it actually looked like CB's. So I wonder if they used the same set, because, I mean, it was filmed this year. So well, a portable CBGB set. Yeah. I'll have to see it. Because <laughs> they certainly didn't go to the John Barbados store and oh, tape there. I know. Well, they'd I know. have to move like you know fourteen thousand dollars worth of sweaters. <laughs> Which is like just a small table. So. <laughs> um, so tell us more about the movie, John. You're down in, in, in Georgia, reconstructed. I think you mentioned before you're sitting there watching the Talking Heads play, recreated, you know, for the magic of motion pictures there in Savannah. So tell us, yeah, the, what the was it like? Who did, the people who perform as the Talking Heads did a great job. Apparently, they, the actors watched all these uh, early rehearsal tapes of mm-hmm. the Talking Heads, and they did a perfect uh, mm-hmm. mime of guitar moves and everything. So are they getting permission to play all the same, all the real music? Or? Yeah, the, this guy Brad Rosenberger is a music producer on the film, and he's negotiating. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get the Ramones. Aww. But yeah, I think it's pretty well known how the Ramones are, you know, not a happy family. Yeah. <laughs> so so who, who's playing like Debbie Harry? Uh, Malin Ackerman. I don't even know She who was in, uh, what was that comic book movie? Uh, Which the Watchmen. one? Okay. Um, what about... I love The Watchmen, who's by playing, the way. Who's playing John I, I Holmes? Think, you like that I, I think I'm in the minority. I thought The Watchmen movie was like this amazing achievement. I mean, a very difficult thing to film, and I think they nailed it. But again, I think I'm in the minority. I, I think it, they batted it out of the park. Who's playing you? Comic book geeks out Josh there. Zuckerman. Who's, who's in 90210. Wait, they got okay. a G to play you? 
Huh? They got a Jew to play good. He's actually not Jewish. I asked Josh him about that. Josh Zuckerman. What? He changed. Because it's, like, it's like, you know. I think his father's Jewish. He changed his name his to sound more Jewish so he'd be more successful not in motion Jewish, pictures. So he's not technically a Jew. And that's the same, like Richard L. is not Jewish because of, you know. Because, oh, because, because his, only his father was Jewish. Was so he's not a, so he's not a real Jew. But Josh Zuckerman, it's like, you know, everybody else in Hollywood changes their name to assimilate and not sound Jewish. Tony Randall, right. you know, Lenny Bruce, and, you know, and, you know, Bob Dylan. You know, we change our names not to sound Jewish. And this guy. This guy has the right idea. Zuckerman, Who, who's huh? play, who's like playing legs? Who's playing legs? Peter Vack. Oh, oh. Who, who are the other luminaries? Who, 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 who have we heard of? Compla- legs are complaining because he's too good looking. <laughs> who? who? Oh, Ashley Green is playing Lisa, Hilly's daughter. And see, and her name was probably she's... Ashley Weiss before she got the <laughs> <laughs> Well, she's like the most beautiful woman in the world. She was in Twilight of all <laughs> oh, movies. Oh, okay. And she's the face of uh, Donna Karen. You know, when I went to London recently, uh, she's on all the double-decker buses for DKNY. And you are jet-setting. You just came back from an art show in London, too. That was Yeah, that was around uh, September, October. Well, this is great. You know, I mean, when we met John, I mean, do you remember when, when we met at uh, the um, Lismar Lounge? Is where we actually <laughs> I don't remember that, but I remember yeah. you were writing a column for me when I was uh, an editor at High, and High Times. Times. And that's how it, Shoot the tube. Shoot the tube. And that's how you got the me into High Times. And um, of course, we'll talk about the very close connections between uh, Punk Magazine and High Times and the founder, uh, Tom Forsad, who helped you out and, um, and and the Sex Pistols tour and all that good stuff. But um, I loved meeting you. I was such a fan of, of Punk Magazine. I totally knew who you were. And someone invited me to this High Times party. Um, I don't think... Oh, you were at that Christmas party. It was one where there was a lot of nitrous downstairs, the nitrous tanks. Yeah, well, that which was de rigueur in those days. Right. I mean, I remember you handing me an entire sheet of acid at one point. Because I don't take acid. I never (laughs) did. And I was just like, how did it get to be my job to hand out the acid? (laughs) (laughs) So I was just like giving people big bunches of it. Dude, it it lasted a long time. I just put it in my freezer. It was like two Christmases later, we were still enjoying it. And then we had the big tank of nitrous was still at Steve Hager's house for for ages. (laughs) Yeah, the nitrous party. I'm sorry, Phoenix's house. He he was trying to bring back the original spirit of High Times. Because Tom Frasad always had nitrous. at his I pushed hard for nitrous at the 25th anniversary party, and I got shut down uh-huh. on that. But anyway, so I met you. Someone said, hey, that's John Holmes. I said, I'd love to meet John. And, you know, what was all Screw Magazine people. I'd been working for Screw a little bit. And there was, you know, people were friendly. So I'd like to meet John. I'd love to write for High Times. And I met you, and you recognized me from Main Event Wrestling Magazine. Right. Because, <laughs> because I was the heel editor in my kayfabe, you know, newsstand wrestling magazine. And my picture had been in, in the magazine a lot and didn't realize you were a major wrestling fan. And, uh, and such well, as made. And you, invited remember, me to, you invited me to write Friday Times. I had actually been working for Pumpkin Press for a video games magazine at that time. Pumpkin those were Press. Pumpkin Press was the magazines. worst publisher in the world. Magazine. <laughs> this son of a bitch cocksucker, uh, Che Lo, right? Who I ended up, you know, I swung a T-square at his head. They had to escort me out of the building, but I got paid. Because, you know, he wasn't paying me at the, at the end. It, it, it got bad. But they did a video games magazine, which I think you were involved in. Steve Bloom was the editor, and I think he got fired after he got into a physical confrontation. Yeah, with, the, the uh, thing is, I'm not a hothead. But this guy was, like, yelling and screaming at me, and, and he owed me, like, thousands of dollars. It had gotten bad. But he had done made event. Wrestling magazine, this newsstand magazine, I sort of fell my, found myself being the editor of, and you know I was twenty three years old. It was great. You know, Wasn't it great to work in the Empire State it, Building it, though? Eighty second floor. I'm twenty two years wow. old with a desk, you know, <laughs> facing south in the Empire State Building, and just waiting for them to bring back the giant inflatable ape, which they used to do once a year in those days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, speaking of wrestling, you were, were marveling this tonight. The pay per view, Punk Rock. Yeah, we got CM Punk versus The Rock. I love him. Oh my god, I might even actually buy that. Holy crap. Punk versus Rock. Who can you root for? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm flush right now. You're, you're dripping 40 weight on the floor, Judy. What's Shut up! There? That's gross. I love them both. Do you? 
They're the only two. Rest- they're the only two cute wrestlers. I didn't think The Rock was wrestling anymore. Well, he's even more. He's the only person more Hollywood than John Armstrong <laughs> is The Rock. I saw um, <laughs> Jerry Lawler was on uh, a, a, a talk show, a sports talk show, and he was saying The Rock doesn't need the money. He's really come back to wrestling because he loves wrestling, and really, there's, it's the only place you can go where you're going to step in a ring. And get that kind of reaction from 100,000 people in the arena at a WrestleMania. It's, it's not like be being in your trailer. It's amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. It's the best. So what's the, what's the punk rock wrestling connection? I mean, you and I both come from you know, these same disparate art forms and you know, believe so strongly in both of them. I mean, what, what's the whole thing? What's the connection? Why, why are we drawn to both well, punk I, rock and I wrestling? I thought that was part of the reason why CBGBs and punk worked on the Bowery. Because the Bowery always represented kind of the, the lower middle class culture, like the... Uh, not anymore. I know, unfortunately. But <laughs> well, you get a fourteen thousand dollars sweater. CBGB's was like a nineteenth century saloon, you know, more like that than some fancy Dan club where people order with bottle service. Fa- yeah, Dude, fancy was, cocktails. Daniel Boulay uh, is that his name? Right, is the, the fancy chef who now has the restaurant DBGB. I know. Okay, uh, with a knockoff logo. That guy should be fucking hung like, up in Tompkins Square he, Park and, he and beaten. Tommy Ramone. Spaghetti sauce inside. Oh, he doesn't. Yes, he has a whole wall of it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Tommy's a nice guy. I hope Tommy's making money off it. Tommy's a nice guy. He's a great guy. You know, Tommy's it's, the best. It's, it's, it's funny. You know, I, I do a gig with him because he's doing his bluegrass thing. Right. Now, and it's like kind of funny. It's like, okay, I'm going to do a gig with Tommy Ramon. It's, I, mean, I mean, the world's, you know, changed. And it's, it's nice. I and mean, I get to hang out with some of these people, that, you know, from, from your crowd. And you're a couple years older than I am. Um, but like the guys, the Dictators. And, um, you know, I play with uh, Deep Pop, who, of course, has been in every great band. And Lenny K comes around. It's, it's so great. Your generation, all these people turned out to be like the nicest people in, in the world. You know, well, all these nasty Because they weren't buns. spoiled by lots of money, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. But There's wait, not many behind-the-music <laughs> stories with punk rock. We have to take a break right now, and what are well, we going to well, hear? Well, John, John set this up. This is a, a song that was written by a The fan guy who the guy wrote of... the foreword, Gary Storm, was a, a DJ in Buffalo. And he came to New York for the Monster Book signing we had a few weeks ago. And uh, he sent me this song that he recorded in the 70s about... Punk magazine and the many fanzines that came out around that time. I believe this is the world premiere of the song. I think this might be the first time it's being played on the radio. So this is for Gary. All right. Mike and Judy with John Holmstrom. Joe the Engineer, spin it. Stop! 
gonna be a quasar Your buffalo sentimental king Take it from me, you're as good as good can be Someday you'll make a million people sing I'll tell you all my dream, I'd do anything To make it on the cover of a punk magazine Tell you all my dream, I'd do anything To make it on the cover of a punk magazine What's the new rage? Do they really make them hot in Carolina? Your poems are really fine. Oh, you really blow my mind. When you rave, there really ain't nothing finer. I'll tell you all my dream. I'd do anything to make it on the cover of a punk magazine. Tell you all my dream. I'd do anything to make it on the cover of a punk on the cover of a punk magazine I'm talking about the real scene that's a punk magazine I'm talking about magazines like Slash and Volubin and Bump and Sniff and Glue and Rockers and 019890 I'm talking about real fans who really love that real rock and roll like like John Holster man if he drew my picture he's a genius man but, but you know you know Cashbox or Billboard or Record World or Fred or Rolling Stone or Wallace if those guys if those commercial guys who are so into their opinions came up to me and said I want your picture I'd say buzz off Jack I want to be on the cover of Trouser Press. I want to be on the cover of I Want to Be Your Dog. I want to be on the cover of a magazine that has lots of discographies and interviews with my favorite stars and lists of all their obscure singles and all their little label singles like Zigzag and Big Star and the Boston Groupie News and, and New Age and guys that go after groups that just haven't been that big yet. I want to be on the punk magazine, punk magazine like, like Young, Fast and Scientific and The Pig Paper and Search and Destroy and, and Teenage Rampage and Big Bang and Power and, and the real scene the punk magazine the real fans the fans that i love that that was great it, it blew me away i always wanted to have a song about punk magazine and your name is they in call it. you a fucking yeah. genius yeah. in a song about punk magazine well I, I thought gary did a great job with his forward he it was just something i found on the internet he, he has like a whole history of his experience as a dj mm-hmm. and he just describes our office and roberta bailey and legs mcneil so perfectly um, you know, I did an interview with Joe Stromer that you ran on your website after you know was it, and uh, after he died, I I interviewed him and CMJ just did ran like a little excerpt. Then he died. Then John ran the whole the whole interview, which is like pretty much the best interview I ever did in my life. I love it so much. And the Japanese just bought it. Wow! <laughs> so excited! I get some Japanese money. Japanese Joe Strummer money. Yeah. Well, I got a clothing deal over in Japan, and I just love it there. I I love the Japanese punk bands. 
because they're so entertaining and, and, and fun. And and yeah. And polite. And that's what punk rock was in the 70s. Yeah, I got to say, when, people I was don't over, understand. when I was over in uh, Japan with the Ron Chans, it was you know, amongst the greatest two weeks of my life. I mean, just the energy and the, um, the purity of spirit and doing it for all the right reasons, you know, it was very, very evident. And the real love. You know, of the American punk rock culture and, and the British punk rock culture as well. Um, but yeah, it was fun. Well, somehow the Japanese got a hold of Punk Magazine right off the bat. Mm-hmm. A, a Japanese artist won our graffiti contest, which was published in the fifth issue. And actually, he's kind of a little bit, f- he's a famous artist now in Japan. Who? And they've made a t shirt out of it. I forget his name. It's, it's in the book. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's a long, a long Japanese, Japanese name, name, you know. Spe- speaking of, of high art, we should talk about the Monster uh, Mutant Monster Beach Party. Right. Because this is the greatest thing of all time. There should be a wing of the modern music. You know, MoMA dedicated to this Fumetti. By the way, Fumetti had also a lost art. You never see that. Not anymore, too much anymore, right? Eh, once in a while. You know, tell so us, much tell work. Tell us what Fumetti is, John, because I think a lot of kids it's don't a, know. Basically, a photo comic, it's an Italian word. Uh, people like uh, Federico Fellini and Francois Truffaut got their start directing these photo comics. They they would take stills during a movie production and then publish a, a magazine with the stills telling the story. So so who is in this one? Well, it starred Joey Ramone and Debbie Harry. Andy Warhol plays a mad scientist. Edie the Egg Lady Massey from the John Waters films her. appears in it. And then we, we have just about everybody from CBGB's making a cameo. Yeah, this is just great. It just starts off here. Gidget is a midget compared to my heartthrob. She's a stingray baby with a shindig nose job. <laughs> well, Joey actually contributed some lyrics <laughs> that he later used in Danny Says. We can't go surfing because it's 20 below. So... Oh, this is great. I mean, people really need to get John's book. I mean, it is John's, you know, just fantastic. I know yeah, how much not hard. Not on the Kindle. I, this is like. It's not, it's not an e-book. No, yeah. th- this, is, yeah. this is a hefty volume. You could really hurt somebody with this thing. Um, <laughs> it's heavy, and you should. You should beat on that brat with John's new book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, punk, the best of punk magazine. It's really, um, it's the greatest thing of all time. John, um, one thing that was, I'm always fascinated about in your uh you know, startling, 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 and startling uh, resume is you're the only guy I know who's on tour with the Sex Pistols, like the you know doomed American tour, spending your birthday in the Holiday Inn with the guys, and uh, and also we should talk about Tom Forsad as part of this too, and the DOA movie and High Times because you are at the vortex of a lot of popular culture. Yeah, well, Tom approached us and he was going to make us rich and famous. He loved the magazine, and even though he founded High Times, he was more of a punk rocker than a hippie. You know, he was a road manager for MC5. Wow. And he named High Times after that live record. Right, he was, know, a, he was a radical, not a flower high power hippie. He didn't intend for it to be a boring hippie rag. Right, right. So, well, so, did he, so he paid for you to go on tour with them? Yes, he wanted, to, he wanted to, uh, for me to do a big story about it, and then he was going to make the movie, and we were going to produce a book. So he wanted us to get as close to the story as we could. And somehow we did end up hanging out with the Sex Pistols here and there. Not were, much with Johnny. What were they like? What were they like? Well, you were down Johnny in- was sick and just in a really bad, grumpy mood the whole time. <laughs> Sid was really outgoing and fun. But you'd talk to him one day, he wouldn't remember you the next. <laughs> but we spent a lot of time with Steve and Paul. They were really great guys. And they were the real musicians of that band that right. held them together. And where were you guys they when you went to, down to Atlanta? So what, which of the gigs were I you? I missed because- Atlanta. I saw Memphis. Uh, then the next one was San Antonio, the famous right. show where Sid took his guitar off and tried to hit somebody. Uh, he missed his target and ended up hitting a Warner Brothers record executive. <laughs> Good for Sid. 
Um, you know, people don't remember me. That tour was like they avoided, it ended in San Francisco, of course, but they had avoided going to New York and any like big center of culture and media to tour southern towns where they were least welcome. Well, that was Malcolm McLaren's genius. Uh, I got to hang out with him and talk to him a lot. What was he like? Oh, so smart. Yeah. He was the smartest man in punk rock for sure. And I think that's how the Sex Pistols became as famous as they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had the musical, you know, guts to pull off the music, but he really gave them the forum to be. And he punk. sort of, and he sort of picked people like by their looks more, I think, than it sort of it sounded like that from whatever. Like they had to have the right look. It's I don't know. Yeah. I started thinking of them as like a punk rock menudo kind of. Well, I love I love the bit in the Great Rock and Roll Swindle, and which I think is a great movie. They cobbled that together real well, considering you know the difficulties they had making that movie, and that anybody can be a Sex Pistol part where they're auditioning people. If you don't, if you remember that montage, well, that was kind of Malcolm's idea in San Francisco. He wanted to have an open mic before the Pistols came on, <laughs> and he, he was always like his biggest worry was that uh, the Pistols would get complacent and comfortable, and he really wanted someone to challenge them because he knew that. You, to get really great, you have to have competition. So you weren't on the bus with them? or were I was you? on the bus just once. We, we went from Baton Rouge, uh, the Kingfish Ballroom, to the hotel. But Gruen was on the bus. He has some amazing stories about that. And speaking of Bob Groom, we should give note to the amazing photography that's in your book. And uh, shout yeah. out to uh, Roberta and uh, Godless and everybody. I mean, the, this book is just well, amazing. I, I think that's what really set us apart is that we... I, I, I always appreciated rock photography and you'd read other rock magazines and it's like the picture was there to take up the space left over by the words yeah it could oh, be well, a press picture or something but you yeah. guys had well, rock, rock scene I mean one of their great hallmarks was the flipped photograph the out of focus flipped photograph you know <laughs> where you know Ludwig on the you know, Led Zeppelin bass drum right backwards or Paul McCartney was playing right handed <laughs> well one of the shames about all, all the magazines back then were printed on not so great paper right. and, and this time the reproduction is so crisp Harper Collins did such a great job my editor Cal Morgan made the decision to increase the paper size and, and to make it this big and everybody comments on how big and beautiful this thing is it's a motherfucker John this is also is thanks awesome, to Kevin awesome, Hine awesome, my art director who our, we, we love Kevin love. our good friend uh, former art director of Screws on, on the Mike and really, Show uh, it's great you know um, I was just making a joke about Paul McCartney but uh Here's punk rock. Here's the guy from the Germs playing in a band with a guy from the Beatles, right? With Pat Smear and the uh, reformed Nirvana with Paul McCartney fronting what? them. No, no. Well, you know that bit they did at the oh. Sandy Relief and on Saturday Night Live. Pat Smear from the the Germs who plays I didn't with, see it. who plays with Nirvana sometime, and they're backing up Paul McCartney. I just think you know this is worlds colliding. I mean, it was something like that was just unthinkable. Well, it was unthinkable like two weeks ago. It's still unthinkable. It's well, wrong. I always wondered why the Beatles didn't jump on punk rock and why more of the the classic rock musicians didn't embrace punk. Well, the Stones they did. The Stones sounded great for the two seconds that they were recording. Respectable. <laughs> the whip comes down. You know, and they you know and trying yeah, but, to. But they never said, "Oh, the Ramones are great." They never endorsed anybody. Although in England they did. Led Zeppelin endorsed publicly endorsed the Damned. Right, and uh, t- and um, here, here in America, everybody ignored punk. The the only thing you heard is Linda Ronstadt saying. It, it's not punk rock, it's garbage rock. Right. Well, you know, and still I think, you know, there are a lot of, you know, especially fucking musicians who think that punk rock isn't music and they right. people punk rockers can't play oh the Ramones, they couldn't play their instruments. Right. You know, well, take a whack at it and see if you can make those three chords sing that well. They were like athletes, so the guitar they would always warm up before every gig. I mean it's like a you know, 
Who could play guitar that fast for that long? All downstrokes. And, and it was like a military machine, you know, with him. And he's like, wow, we shaved 30 seconds off the set tonight. Right. You know, a set that, is, you know, was 38 songs in like 16 seconds. And he's still shaving time off. I watched Ramon's set. I'd opened up with him a couple times on pretty big stages. And watching them on the side of the stage, it's just amazing what a well-oiled machine they were. And when Didi shot it, one, two, three, four, it had nothing to do with the actual tempo of the song. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like ingrained to their DNA. They knew where it was going. And it was... It was like wow! It was like wow! The Ramon Road Show, even after they ceased to make compelling records, the live show was still killer. Well, they put out good songs. There was almost always a few good songs on every album they brought out. You know, and it's typical of I think most rock bands. No rock band ever brought out a great record every time out. No, you know. That's what Greatest Hits Records were for. I just wait around for them. Well, it's, the Greatest Hits Records. It's still good. Well, with Punk Magazine and uh, the Best of Punk Magazine, John Holmstrom, we won. <laughs> we won. I feel real good. I'm real proud of this. And, uh, you know, we all, three of us uh, go back, way back. So I'm real, real happy to have you here, John. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much book for coming. It's magnificent. Like week here. And uh, where, where can people find you on the uh, interweb? Oh, johnholmstrom.com. Mm-hmm. And we have a Facebook page for the book. That's great. Excellent. So it's John and Punk Magazine. and um, Go what, buy it. Now, next week, Judy. Next what? week, we're celebrating the Puppy Bowl. I know there's some sporting event happening, but we are doing all Puppy Bowl with the, ki- with the kitten um, halftime parade. <laughs> Animal Rescue Week on the Super Bowl show. And, of course, tonight, we're going to Judy's house to watch Punk Rock. Uh, that might need to be a private event. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Once again, for Mike and Judy, John Holmes from Joe the Engineer. It's the Mike and Judy Show here at the Heritage Radio Network. See you guys next week. And I think we have the dictators going out, right, Joe? Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.